Show ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining us now at this point, we just say friend of the program, friend of the station, Dan Lust, sports attorney. You hear him all over the country, whether it be on ESPN, CBS, Fox Sports. He is a sports law professor at New York Law School and um, host of the uh, Con Detrimental podcast. So a lot to chat about with our friend Dan Lust. Good morning, Dan. I know you've been on our airwaves. It's been a little while since I've talked to you on this show, but how's life, man? How are things going? Good, good. Uh, you know, obviously staying busy. The sports law world, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know what's in the waters, but uh, between, you know, the NFL, Major League Baseball, lockout, it's been a, a lot of stories to keep us busy, and, and uh, busy is good, Scott. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I feel like it's been – little less than two years ago, sometime during the pandemic, Norman Locke had you on. And um, not that you, you know, you were already doing media stuff before that and you had the podcast, but that kind of turned me on to you and seeing your your platform, I guess, grow and seeing you on a lot of different venues. It's been cool, man. It's been cool seeing your rise. I know there's still, I know you still have goals to go farther with it, but um, you put yourself out there a lot. And it's it, it's it's always interesting to me because a lot of times, Fans will have questions. You know, why does someone do this? Why does someone do that? And it, it usually always goes back to finances. And when that's the case, you got to get lawyers involved. And so, you always bring clarity to that. But you need to clarify something before we go any further. What's uh, what's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? You know what? You're putting me on the spot here. Uh, as you know, I'm a New York guy, uh, born and raised. I'm not from Brooklyn, but let's go with No Sleep Till Brooklyn. I, I think it's. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a controversial choice. It's no, it's it's a banger. It works. It sparks. No sleep till. Let's dig right into it, man. I want to start with the Conference USA Sun Belt situation and kind of give you my perspective as somebody that is not an attorney, and then get you to clarify it. Um, I feel like obviously Coos is doing this. You know, they're looking out for their best interest. I get it. But when three schools say we're leaving and then Kusa says, well, no, you're not. We're going to release our football schedule. We're going to put you on it. I think this is more of a long-term thing from Kusa because in 2023, you have six other schools leaving and they want to make sure that when it comes to their exit fees, they can't claim, oh, well, you didn't really have a conference anymore. That's that's kind of a very short version of how I'm looking at it. But Clarify that for me, and I guess your whole take on, on the situation involving Conference USA and the three schools that say we're leaving, and Coos is saying, well, not so fast. Yeah, so I, I think maybe where we should start, sports law uh, and really being a lawyer is just kind of understanding history, understanding precedent, and then using that precedent to argue about what should or shouldn't happen in a future scenario. So um, a little bit of what I do is I'm just a you know, college sports and sports fanatic, so I know all these different similar avenues. The one that immediately pops up to mind, and probably the reason this conversation is happening today, is one not uh, not that long ago with the Big 12 uh, losing Texas and Oklahoma. And at that point, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of Big 12, I think felt the um, you know the grasp of the conference slipping away. You lose Texas and Oklahoma, and there's a conversation about whether those schools were attempting to what they call destabilize the conference. And the vultures were swirling with the AAC and maybe ESPN involved, and what did Big 12 do? They sent a cease and desist letter to ESPN, said, hey, you know, we know what you're doing. You're trying to break up our conference. We'll sue you. 
you know, we'll do what we need to do. And it's, it put everybody in a tough spot, right? Because college sports fans, ESPN, you know, I know the platform I'm speaking on is ESPN. It was just a weird situation. But what it did, right, no one ended up getting sued. And it basically was a signal like, hey, everybody, leave the Big 12 alone. You know, um, and, you know, those guys existed. They ended up taking a couple of the schools. So now it takes us to Conference USA. Um, I, I thought conference slipping away. You have six schools leaving in 2023. Add to that, right, you know, uh, Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion. That's a lot of schools leaving in a really short amount of time. So, you know, Conference USA, I think, is sticking to their guns. And they're saying, hey, if you want to leave, you got to give us 14-month notice. And that's because we need time to find suitable replacements. So the conference has ceased to exist. So I think they're taking a little bit of the Bob Bowles playbook, fighting back, punching back a little bit, and saying, hey, you guys can go but when we say you can go. And that's at least according to the contract, their interpretation is in 14 months. Just like if you break a lease, a residential lease, a hotel – a, you know, not a hotel, but an apartment, you have to give us prior sufficient notice. And here, Conference USA is saying, hey, in this contract, it says 14 months, and they're giving us three months. So we're going to have to hold you in until we, until we can find some replacements here. Dan Snyder, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. Now, in speaking to the, the AD at the University of Louisiana, he, you know, he said on my show last week, he feels like he feels like the expectation remains the same, that those schools will be in the Sun Belt, come uh, you know July one. Uh, so obviously, you're hearing it straight from the, the horse's mouth, so to speak. But I, I certainly think there's a world where it's not Sun Belt's call. Um, Conference USA can file what's called an injunction, and basically can force the schools to stay at least during the pendency of you know, the injunction or, or any potential legal case to figure this out. And again, Scott, we're trying to find some precedent. Um, you know, back in the '80s, there was the College Football Association, which was a separate entity of college football teams that tried to leave the NCAA with respect to their television deals. It's an interesting, unique scenario. And the NCAA basically got an injunction and said that these schools, you know, I think it was Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, some really big schools, you guys can't do that until we figure this out in court. So it forced those schools to have this unholy alliance, so to speak, uh, while the court system worked itself out. So if Conference USA wants to take that route and, and file an injunction to prevent those schools from leaving, it's not really the Sun Belt's call. You know, it's the Sun Belt's call whether they want to get sued too, right? If they want to release the schedule that has Marshall and Old Dominion playing conference games, uh, that'll certainly get them brought into the lawsuit. Not to say what's right or wrong, um, but I think Conference USA is watching very closely the schedule release, which, you know, uh, at least as the time of this conversation, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But you know, I think it's bound to happen any day. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's a reason the Sun Belt hasn't announced anything officially yet and uh you know who knows what's happening exactly behind the scenes between those three schools and kusa but it um i don't know it's from a law standpoint it's certainly fascinating all right dan shifting gears i, I do want to ask you about Jawan howard before we go i know it's it's not exactly like you know nfl owners or or tanking things it's about um i called it a b slap right it was an open hand slap of an assistant coach i talked about it a lot on my show yesterday and then the official punishments came down last night from the Big Ten. Greg Garb, the Wisconsin coach, gets suspended, um, or rather fined, not suspended. And then the discipline came down last night. Greg Garb's fined ten grand. Uh, Michigan forwards Terrence Williams, Musa Diabati, and a Wisconsin guard Jacoby Neath, they were each suspended one game. They're the three that threw a punch. Fortunately, didn't land. Jawan Howard suspended five games the rest of the re- regular season. And find forty thousand dollars for uh, the open hand uh, slap strike to assistant coach Joe Krabenhoff. So I, I really wasn't surprised by the punishment, but 
But um, you were bringing some perspective to, I guess, his his press conference afterwards and some of the things he said. So give us your take on uh, the Juwan Howard situation. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just in short, uh, what happened? You could call it a, a slap, a smack, a strike to the head, a punch. I've, I've heard a lot of people calling it different things. At the end of the day, Juwan Howard intended to hit somebody else. And Juwan Howard, in his own words, his justification was because a different coach, right, you know, guard, touched him. Um, that it, it's not going to be seen as a sufficient justification. You could say that Wisconsin kind of messed up here, but I mean, it certainly can't excuse what Juwan Howard did. So, you know, we see these kind of scrums happen. You don't really see them between coaches, but, you know, it's happened at the end of games and the handshakes and whatnot. But um, for one coach to strike a different coach than the one that maybe initiated the contact, uh, that's not going to be seen as okay. They're just they're just fortunate that thing didn't turn into a brawl, man. Honestly, it was a couple of punches oh. thrown here or there from I think two Michigan players, one Wisconsin player. But that's most fortunate thing about this is because if if it had turned into an all out brawl, I think every the conversation is different. Fair or not, it's very different. So um, yeah, you know, it was it had everybody talking for sure. Yeah, 100%. Dan Lust, our guest, at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, I, I call it an educational account. I always learn stuff when you're tweeting from there. And I enjoy the pod. I I, I listen to it when, it when it comes to some of the, the NFL things, as I want to shift gears for you uh, with you for a minute here. And the Brian Flores lawsuit, when it, when it first came out, the thing that immediately – stood out to me the most because there was some stuff in there that I found unfortunate but not surprising. But the thing that stood out most honestly was was the, the allegation that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, was bribing him to throw games, bribing Brian Flores. I want you to lose, right? Better draft position. I want you to lose. I'll pay you this much. Flores saying no um, and reports that there was an alleged witness that witnessed that. It's also the NFL, Dan. We've seen them get into situations that get – tied up in court or go to court, settled out of court. I mean, they are the billion-dollar sort of monster in the room when it comes to these kind of things. So um, from your perspective, what <clears throat> could could that allegation potentially force Ross to sell? And, and how does the rest of, in your mind, and you don't know for certain, but how do you think the other owners of the rest of the NFL is, is viewing that situation in terms of their bottom line and what it means to them? Yeah, I mean, I guess let's let's start with the Stephen Ross stuff, and just to you know, and I know you know this side of it, but I think it was um, you know whatever side you're on, it was a, it was a we'll say either a, a savvy move or a bush league move, whichever side you fall on, to put the Stephen Ross allegation in a lawsuit that's about racial discrimination. It's about whether or not coaches are are hired and fired in the league. You know whether or not someone you know, and at least the the example I try to paint. If at the end of the day you showed me a check that's from Stephen Ross to Brian Flores in the memo line that says here's your you know hundred thousand for losing in week one, you know I'm glad we came to this agreement, right? Like the smoking gun, the perfect piece of evidence, it doesn't prove racial discrimination. Um, it doesn't. So you know you could say that I don't really. I think everyone, at least the lawyers, will agree that's not really relevant to the heart of the case. Is it relevant to different depositions that will be taken? Maybe a Bill Belichick uh, or of Stephen Ross. You know I, I think that stuff is important. Uh, you know, and I'm talking a little bit that smoking gun uh, text with Belichick as well. I think that that stuff's all kind of you know important to the finding out you know what's going on, but it's not going to be the be all end all in the case. 
Um, you know, when it comes to Stephen Ross, though, yeah, I mean, I think it was an effective way from the lawyers to put the spotlight and all the pressure on Stephen Ross and then the Super Bowl. And I think it's going to cause the NFL, and obviously they've launched an investigation into Stephen Ross, but to really kind of look inward and figure out, uh, you know, what, what other incentives were being provided. We've always talked about tanking in basketball, you know, in baseball, in football. It's a conversation that happens whenever the CBA is you know, negotiated. How do we prevent teams from not tanking? And then you have to say, like, well, if the coaches are complicit in this and their jobs are on the line, right, if they lose too many games, they could get fired. Maybe the logical thing here is that coaches have been provided with either job security for losing on purpose or financial incentive for losing on purpose. So I, I think you have the makings here of a vision that's got to occur across sports. Um, assuming this is established, I would, I would be surprised if this was an isolated incident. So, yeah, the NFL is going to have to look in the mirror and, and really uh, either make an example of Stephen Ross or basically say, hey, we looked under every stone unturned and there was no truth to these allegations. But, um, you know, that's, that's a long ways ahead. They've got to build back the public trust in these allegations. Sports law professor Dan Lust, our guest right now here on The Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Um, the the NFL Combine, Dan, uh, I haven't followed this one as, as closely as the others, but agents threatening to pull their clients out of the combine based on some conditions. Again, I, I would, I guess I would ask you a more in-depth question if I was more in tune with it, but can you kind of explain to, to, to me and the listeners exactly what's happening there and, and how, what, what potentially could play out? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think it's, we're still early in the reporting cycle, but obviously something unprecedented. The reports coming out are that the agents representing more than 150 draft prospects are organizing a boycott uh, of all testing and on-field workouts and interviews at the scouting combine because of what they're calling these bubble restrictions. So uh, take it for what it's worth, but I, I feel like if it's the, you know, agents are kind of doing a favor for the NFL, right, and they're bringing all the top talent in the world to this combine, they want it done in a, in a way that they feel is appropriate. And the NFL for years has been kind of saying, you're going to be tested under our conditions. If you don't want to show up for the combine, great, but maybe your draft stock's going to be hurt if you have to have a private individual workout. So I think it's maybe a changing of the guard, so to speak. The NFL agents are really laying it down. They're saying, hey, your combine is nothing without the top players. So you need to kind of uh, come with us a little bit, and you have to bend a little bit. If we don't like these conditions, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to bend. You have to compromise. Um, let's see what the NFL does here. Obviously, you can't have the combine without any first or second round talent. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's the same type of spectacle. And the NFL shouldn't be in the business of angering the top agents in the sport. So maybe there's, um, you know, a line in the sand here that neither side wants to cross. Um, but right now it's threatening boycott, right? And the reports are from, like, these top NFL insiders. I think it's just kind of a power move to the media to say, hey, you know, wherever you're at in this negotiation, we're ready to go to media and make this really ugly. Maybe you should just cave. If we don't want uh, certain testing or the frequency of testing for COVID and whatnot, uh, you know, maybe you guys should bend here in NFL. Dan Lust, our guest. A uh, few more for you, Dan. We appreciate the time. Again, give Dan a follow on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. And from there, you can check out all his stuff, including the Con Detrimental podcast. Conduct Detrimental at Con Detrimental is the Twitter handle, but it's called Conduct Detrimental, the Sports Law podcast that uh, he's been doing for a while now. Um, in regards to the uh, Stan Kroenke, L.A. Rams thing, I I was really hoping that St. Louis wouldn't settle. I mean, I wanted all that stuff public. I wanted, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Stan Cranky. I'm not. Um, I, I don't think 
NFL in LA is even all that great, to be honest with you. The Chargers certainly, I don't think they the only team that would have had less fans at a Super Bowl parade than the Rams are actually the Chargers, sadly enough. But Kroenke, he it felt calculated. He was trying to get out there. Um, you guys touched a little bit on it on a podcast. Of you know, maybe were were they kind of maybe trying to take in St. Louis? Maybe, maybe not. What what? Like I think, as far as Kroenke goes, he got his Super Bowl. He's got his team. He's got SoFi Stadium. The St. Louis settled out. Like what? What is any kind of long term damage to Kroenke if there is any? Whenever all this stuff, or I say all this stuff, some things it's 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 already settled. Settled. I, I guess I'm just rambling now, which I'm sorry, Dan. I tend to do. But what's your what's your take on the on Stan Kroenke, the the owner of the Rams, and kind of how he got the team there, and St. Louis's decision to to settle with the NFL. So you're you're not. I, I don't blame you for rambling. This stuff's so interesting, so interesting to talk about, and there's so many levels and layers to it. Ever going to go? I mean. I guess at, at a really high level, you know, just like you, I was disappointed that uh, we didn't spend those two weeks in the Super Bowl. We spent a lot of time talking about the Brian Flores lawsuit, which is great. You know, it's an important conversation, an important lawsuit. We spent a lot of time talking about Dan Snyder and his uh, legal problems, Congress attacking the Washington commanders. Um, but I thought it was a missed opportunity to kind of put the, um, you know, drive the needle into Stan Kroenke, who owns the Rams, uh, you know, allegedly defrauded the city of St. Louis from their team, moved them to Los Angeles. And guess what? The host city of the Super Bowl is uh, Los Angeles. The team playing in the Super Bowl is the Rams. So it's set up for kind of a perfect media storm. And, and oh, well, you know, the trial was supposed to occur right around that same time period, originally scheduled for January 10th. We thought it was going to get moved to February. So it, it could have been this perfect storm of attention on this lawsuit. Um, so, you know, I, I uh, in that sense, I, I've always said, you know, I'm not sure why St. Louis, obviously I know why they, they took a check for $790 million, but that check's only going to grow as you get closer to trial. Once you get on the eve of trial, if the NFL is willing to pay $790 million two months out from trial. They're certainly willing to pay more on the eve of trial, the week before trial. As we got closer to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles for that same exact reason, the NFL was, I'm sure, aware of that potential media storm that was uh, that could have could have been there. So, I don't, I don't love the decision to settle when they did. Obviously, I'm not going to you know, fault them for settling for close to a billion dollars. But I think there was more there. Um, and then, you know, you asked me about the tanking allegations. You know, that's, again, a conversation that we missed out on. In order to move the team from St. Louis to Los Angeles, part of Kroenke's argument was that, hey, the, the uh, you know, attendance numbers, the interest in the Rams in St. Louis has really waned in the last, you know, couple years. Um, and why had it waned, right? It certainly wasn't the greatest show on turf. They were terrible. Like winning Super yeah. Bowls. They were just a bad right. team. And, and they had, right, they had lost nine consecutive seasons, and then they were you know, really bad uh, in the last five years before they left. So, uh, yeah, they, they had a business uh, interest of losing. So, you know, that's, that's what I think you and I are both getting at. But it wasn't maybe a $100,000 check, but it certainly didn't help the case. Uh, it didn't hurt the case from moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles because the team had lost so, so much. And then all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, the second they moved to Los Angeles, they've won five consecutive seasons in a row, winning seasons, uh, and won the Super Bowl. So that, that type of a turnaround, you know, night and day, they go from, like, I think 4-12 and 12 to 11-5 and five overnight. Like, that doesn't happen at the NFL. So I think it may, may be worthy of an investigation at some point. The irony is, if they had won a Super Bowl in St. Louis, you know there would have been more folks out freezing cold at a parade than they had in L.A. It's just certainly it's it's like you want to get them in L.A., but it's just kind of like an extra thing to do out there. I don't know. It, it is what it is. Dan Lust has been our guest. Guys, follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Check out check out the Conduct Detrimental podcast. 
and uh, all of the content he puts out there. He is a sports law professor at New York Law School. And uh, again, man, it's been cool seeing your rise um, in the media here over the last, you know, two years, give or take. And I know there's big things ahead for you, but thanks for coming on, bringing some perspective and uh, explaining a number of things that frankly are something that I don't understand. I, I, I don't even pretend to sometimes when it comes to the law side of sports. So I appreciate the time, man. All the best. And uh, let's chat again in the future. My pleasure, Scott. No sleep till Brooklyn. There Talk it is. All right, man. Good stuff.